Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. This audio edition is created in conjunction with partners as part of our Market Voice series. Well, we're about to unveil Australia's first audio brand index in which Bunnings and Victoria Bitter have cleaned up. Now, what the hell are you talking about, you might ask? Good question. If you think of Intel's infamous little audio mechanic on all its ads globally, you're thinking audio logos and branding. And as it turns out, there's quite an art and science to all of this. Uh, MasterCard has been one of the more recent and high-profile case studies on the do's and don'ts of building a powerful brand via audio. Now that the world's biggest advertiser, Procter & Gamble, is backpiling into audio ads and branding in the US at least, Australia now has its first annual benchmark on which brands are rocking the sound waves. Um, as we mentioned, Victoria Bitter and Bunnings have taken out line honours for the top 25 audio brands here in Australia. Lowest prices are just the beginning. And Toyota's leading the charge for automotive with this classic. So with us today to work out how important this whole audio branding thing is, we have Scott Simonelli, CEO of New York-based audio intelligence platform Veritonic and Southern Cross Austereo's national head of creativity, Matt Dixon. These two companies have just finished Australia's first study into the top ranking audio brands here. Welcome to you both. So before we unpack why audio logos and branding is an undercooked discipline, an important but undercooked discipline uh, in Australia, let's get to the sexy stuff first, Matt. Who wins in Australia on audio branding and why is this new audio brand index uh, so important? Thanks, Paul. I'm going to mention a couple of brands that probably don't sit right at the top. Obviously, the winners were VB, Bunnings and Toyota. Uh, but I think there are a few other brands that are doing it really well in terms of, I guess, winning the category. I think Amy do a great job. Woolworths, Boost Juice and O'Brien Glass as well. For me, audio branding is important for a few reasons. I think first, audio and particularly melody, so musical melody, has a unique relationship with the brain that no other medium can replicate. So melody and memory are very tied together, partly because of the brain. Secondly, I think with the advent of smart speakers, every search that happens with voice is one less search that happens visually. So if you're a brand and you don't have audio brand assets, then how is anyone, anyone going to know who you are in a, in a voice environment? Uh, thirdly, audio lives everywhere, and I think people forget this all the time. An audio logo isn't just for audio channels. An audio logo is for TV, Facebook video, YouTube, on hold, in store, just about everything else. And it's interesting to note as well, audio logos, when they're done properly, offer effortless attribution and recall of campaigns. So an audio logo will bind together a fragmented campaign. Um, and at the end of the day, the, these days, every, every campaign is fragmented. To reach any sort of audience, you have to buy more than one medium. So audio, an, a good audio logo will pull all of those together. Um, Bunnings obviously was the first, uh, or the highest ranking brand in the index. Uh, QSR does relatively well but again that's mostly mcdonald's and i get we'll hear from scott in a minute in terms of comparisons to the us but i think our kind of insurance and financial services do do better 
than other countries do. Then a little bit further down, we've got some brands that people know and love. We've got SPC Baked Beans and Spaghetti, which is a, a, a well-loved jingle slash audio device. It's been around for a long time. We actually remade it nearly two years ago, I think, and used Veritonic to test all the assets as well. And then I think you've got Netflix, I think, in Australia sat very similar to the US and the UK. Scott will be able to tell you that. But that just shows, I guess, that can, there are some consistent brands globally as well. Scott, we'll get to the US data in a second, but this notion that Matt alluded to, that you've got brands and companies very focused on their visual identities, but audio is very different. Why is that? What's going on there? How how important is audio branding? Yeah, and Matt, Matt touched on this you know, earlier. Audio is very important. There's nothing more powerful uh, in evoking emotions. There's nothing more powerful in, in evoking emotions more quickly uh, than audio. There's nothing more powerful when it comes to recall and memorability. Uh, you know, audio is a big part of, of the human condition. It's a big part of our biology and a big part of, of how we how we kind of interact with the world. Uh, and so, you know, for, for a bunch of different reasons, and, and some of them are obvious and some of them are not obvious, you know, the visual world has been uh, overemphasized, and it's it's partly a technology, uh, you know, reason for that, right? Technology is just easier to process, it's easier to to comprehend, and it's easier to build technology around things we can see. It's tangible, it's there. Uh, audio is you can't see it, <laughs> um, and it also has the you know the time element to it, right? You know, you, you know audio has to exist in a time continuum. It, it can't exist just on a singular plane. So it's just a harder thing to understand. It's a harder thing to process. But it's also, you know, and this is not a good or a bad thing. It's it's the thing that people are the most opinionated about, right? People are very, they might feel one way or another about something visually, but they're entrenched on audio. <laughs> um, and it can be very personal. It can be very innate. And people, you know, will shy away from data and measurement and some of these things on things that they think they know the answer to. And so, you know, audio has been an interesting subset of, of the marketing and visual world. And I think it's, I think because of the way the world has evolved with smart speakers and AirPods and podcasting and just the digitization of, of, of audio, as we've seen, it's starting to come to the, to the forefront and even our analogies, right? I just use a visual analogy <laughs> to, to describe it, right? So I think like some of these things like, you know, it, it's happening, but I think audio is, is there. And I think it is starting to have, uh, we're entering into a time period where it's going to be able to be better understood. We mentioned Intel earlier. Is it fair to say that Intel's, in, in your view, Scott, is the benchmark for audio branding? Yeah, you know, Intel is is sort of been one of the prime examples of, of how you can use sonic elements successfully um, where there's no words, they don't they don't say anything. You know, uh, yeah, there's a lot of best practices in audio branding, which Matt can certainly talk you through. And I'm sure being in his world, he sees the good, bad, and the ugly every day. And they, they also help brands create better content, right? We're just in the data business. We, we don't have a horse in the race. But Intel's done a good job of, of not just creating something that's sonically catchy and sonically well done and in, in that it's it's the right length, it's got the right amount of notes in it, it's just an easy thing to remember. But they've also done a good job of investing in it and using it. Um, you know, part of that, you know, that recall comes from repetition and, and being present and they've stayed with it and, and that's also helped too. How long has Intel been doing sonic branding? I mean, it has to be 15, 20 years. It's been around for a long time and they were, you know, they weren't the first to do something like this, but they were... Uh, you know, they were one of the ones that 
did it really well in, in, in kind of a, all of our current timeframes, you know, our lifetime. <laughs> it was basically conditioned, wasn't it, as part of their agreement with hardware partners to add that into their own ads. I think that's the case. Yeah, and I think they were they're also in a position where they, they were kind of the footnote in a lot of ads, you know, for for Microsoft and many others, and and they had to try to find a way to be present. It's really genius if you think about it, right? You're at the end of an ad and uh, a TV spot. Who's looking at the screen at that point? The ad's kind of over, and no one's going to notice an Intel visual at that point. So in some ways, you know, a lot of these things sometimes greatness comes from you know, just the circumstance, and they, they did the best with that situation. With Intel, there's a really interesting audio story there where people heard the Intel bongs, as they're called, for, for a long period of time and on a lot of different advertising. People started asking for an Intel processor in their computer, not even knowing what it did. There are other processors that were directly comparable and did just as good a job. And, and this is branding, um, I guess, in its purest essence. People were thinking, I think I need this thing because I hear about it all the time. I don't know anything about it. I don't know the finer details. But due to repetition uh, and, and the melody made it memorable, people were asking for an Intel processor not knowing anything about what it did. What about MasterCard, Scott? It has made some big efforts with audio branding uh, in recent years, but it's experienced mixed results. Is that a fair observation? Yeah, it, it's it's one of those things where as as we get better at understanding audio, the reality is like there's not one size fits all here, right? And and evolved marketing campaigns, evolved analytic, evolved analytics, you know, the internet, the way the internet works, today, it's, it's highly dynamic, it's personalized, right? And so, you know, being successful at creating a new audio identity and having it be universally, <laughs> you know, effective across large, you know, every population in the world is, is really unlikely, right? That, that would be, I would be surprised if that were the case with MasterCard. Hey, so Scott, just uh, for marketers in Australia who don't know what MasterCard has been doing. Give us a couple of quick examples of where it worked and where it didn't. Yeah, you don't want to judge somebody else's is work. I think there's there's bright spots there. I think, you know, it just from a recall standpoint, it really suffered. I mean that that's an area where, you know, the aided and unaided recall. So like how memorable is something, you know, is, is, that's a big factor in in how we calculate the Veritonic audio score, specifically with audio branding methodologies, right? And so look, if it's not if it's not memorable, it's not a good audio logo. And it's that you don't need a, a uh, audio intelligence platform to figure that out. I think it's also fairly new. Yeah. Repetition matters. You can remember anything if you hear it enough times. There's a science to what we do here, and we do try to factor in for familiarity, because familiarity is different than, than recall. Some things are just inherently more memorable than others. I think you're going to overthink an audio logo as well. Um, I know from us working with Veritonic for the last two years, we've learned two things. An audio logo needs memory, a melody to be memorable. And if it contains the brand name, it's more effective as well. And that shows up in the index. But the third thing for me, and this is something that we've just learned along the way, I would argue that if you can't hum or whistle an audio logo, then it's not going to be as effective. It's not It's not in a format that the brain can easily understand. It's got to be like a, a single line melody. If it's two melodies um, or an octave or something that makes it more complex, it's a lot harder for the brain to process. And I guess the, the visual comparison would be if you can draw an, a visual logo by hand, then it's, it's a success. Like you look at the McDonald's M, everyone could draw that. Uh, it's simple, it's iconic. And to me, the same comparison goes for audio as well. I love that analogy, Matt. That's that's so true. Look, people put a lot of thought into this and they should, you know, it's, it can it can feel counterintuitive. Like you should invest all this money and time in your audio logo and your audio branding. But if it's too simple and too obvious, 
you know, well, that must not be right. You know, it's like, this has to be sophisticated. It has to be, this is like, it's a very difficult thing to get right. And, and, I, and I think in, in our world, I've learned never to judge myself. Like, I, you know, what does one man's opinion matter? I've seen things that I think are terrible score really well um, and be statistically significantly better. And I might totally disagree with that. But I think you're right. I think there's, it's really hard to get something right without overthinking it. And I, it's, it's a tough burden. I wouldn't want to be in that situation. It's a hard thing to do. We'll get to Matt in a sec about what Bunnings and VB are doing right. But Scott, before we do, what are the differences or indeed similarities between US, UK and Australia? Yeah, they're, they're surprisingly similar. Right? There's a lot of common ground between uh, the US and Australia uh, from, from vertical to vertical. I think an area that's really interesting uh, and I'm intrigued by actually is, is the difference in automotive in Australia. The fact that, that there can be automotive companies <laughs> being successful in audio branding, that's, that's great. I mean, we do see beauty companies actually do poorly. Beauty, I get. The beauty world is is much more of a visual thing. You know, having a good audio ad for makeup or a hair product is. I, I get that. Automotive, though, you know, people are in their cars um, a lot of the times that they're listening, and so you would think you would think the audio brands themselves would be much better at it. And in Australia, you know, Toyota is the outlier, really. I mean, the other automotive brands in the index are at the bottom, uh, you know, as well. So Toyota is helping them out. Uh, you know, one area where the U.S. is particularly strong versus other countries is the insurance companies in the U.S. are the really the, the top tier of audio branding. Uh, you can go down, you know, the top five insurance companies in the U.S., um, with the exception of, of Geico, have exceptional audio brands that have been around for 50 years. Um, and so Farmers Insurance, State Farm, and Liberty, you know, I give them credit. They, they had nothing and, and went into this uh, you know, kind of fight against, uh, you know, I think Nationwide has been the top performer for a long time, uh, you know, here in the U.S. They went right in there and went head-to-head with those those guys and, and, and went at it full force. And so that's an area where the U.S. is particularly strong. I'm tempted to ask you to hum all the audio logo, Scott, but we <laughs> won't for, for sanity reasons. Yeah, yeah, please, no, no. But Geico <laughs> surprises me. It's probably the brand, at least in Australia and internationally, that we know more than the others. You're saying that their audio isn't tracking well. They don't even have an audio logo logo um, that they use. And so uh, it's, it's, they've done a great job with their visual advertising and they've used the gecko and, and, and sort of the you know, humor in their advertising in a, in a, in a really strong way. Uh, getting humor right uh, is very difficult in, in audio. It's, it's, you know, it, audio jokes don't land maybe as well as visual gags. Uh, you know, having a funny gecko in your ad um, can be harder to do in the audio world. Um, but the the audio logos in the insurance industry in the U.S. have been around for a very long time, and so they've leveraged them, uh, you know, because some of those companies were, you know, came to be in the world of, of radio, like pre-television. <laughs> so they, they're they're just really good at it, and they've been at it a long time. And so, uh, but nation, you know, nationwide is on your side, which I won't hum. Um, is probably the most well-known uh, one in the U.S. So Matt, what are VB, Bunnings, and and Toyota doing in this market uh, around audio that other brands aren't? And, and to Scott's point, you're a little bit excited about Toyota, are you? <laughs> I, look, Toyota is really interesting because they stopped using the audio logo maybe two or three years ago. They used it for, I think, nearly f- between 30 and 40 years. And then for whatever reason, stopped using it a couple of years ago. But you can see the, the residual effect of having that for so long is that people still know what it is. They still remember who it's for and they still really like it as well. Uh, and that brings me to the next point I wanted to discuss with Bunnings and VB. 
you've got to look at the the, the top ranking um, brands in our um, audio logo index and it's all about consistency and melody. So having something melodic, having a collection of unique notes that are unique to you and then using it consistently for a, for a long time. And I think that's the key to audio logo success, particularly in Australia, but that would be uh, the same in the US and the UK. And I think it's it's sort of an audio branding Stockholm syndrome that happens where if you play something for long enough, people start to fall in love with it. And if you look at um, Daryl Braithwaite's song, The Horses, it's a shit song, but because people have heard it so often, it just weaves its way into the zeitgeist and people really start to love it. You can go onto YouTube. There's a clip where, um, there's a YouTube clip, I think it's called 10 Hours of the Bunnings um, Audio Logo or 10 Hours of the Bunnings Jingle, and it's got 2,500 plays. It's only been up for six weeks. Um, there are infinite covers of dudes on guitar playing the Bunnings audio logo. Um, so I think going back to my original point, consistency and melody, but there are a couple of, it's funny, there are brands that spend a lot on licensing, but maybe don't understand the benefits of consistency. If you look at someone like Nick Scarley, Scott, they sell furniture here, the kind of upmarket furniture. They spend a lot on music licensing, like they've used um, Spandau Ballet's True and a bunch of other songs. They change it up fairly often, but they don't own those assets. They're not repetitiously um, giving people the same audio logo that's going to build that audio Stockholm syndrome that people are going to fall in love with. They don't get that opportunity for that moment because they're not doing what Bunnings and VB are doing. I mean, the, the, the VB song, the Hard and Thirst song, the which I think was lifted from the Magnificent Seven anthem, is, I'm pretty sure it's been around since about 1968. So that would be the longest player on the list and also the, the highest uh, or, or second highest. So, yeah, and I think no accident. Matt, how receptive is the Australian market to, to audio branding and, and logos? How sophisticated is it at the moment? I think we're... It's funny... We've been doing this for maybe full on for maybe two and a half years and I feel like we were early to the game. To me, there's always been a reason to have an audio logo and that's the longer you run it, the more people are going to fall in love with it with it, and remember it. Um, but I guess the reason now is smart speakers. Uh, V-commerce is in Australia and I think we'll only just take off from here. If you don't have an audio logo, then then who are you in the voice space? Who, who are you if people are searching on their phone using Siri or Google Assistant? Who are you in that context? So there, there is a reason to have always done it, which is audio's unique relationship with the brain. And there's a reason to do it now, which is I think smart speakers are going to change the way um, we buy things. Scott, uh, smart speakers in Australia, household penetration is way, way behind the US and the UK. Uh, Amazon is here but hasn't kicked. Is there more sophistication in the US around what Matt talks about with e-commerce and audio and so on? How sophisticated is it? Most people have them. It, it's the usage that varies here. I mean, Amazon's done an amazing job in the U.S. of everybody thinks they need one. Um, and I think a couple of things, you know, they're, they're in a high percentage of homes. Uh, I think the number was, last I saw, it might have been like above 60%, 70 it was, it was, it was an obscenely high number. You know, and, and in my house, look, we have multiple smart speakers and we use them every day. The issue with the smart speaker, frankly, is, is the content and the voice applications being good enough. And the ability to discover, for example, podcast listening is very low on smart speakers, partly because it's really hard to discover new podcasts and listen to them and what have you. And so, like, it's, it's sometimes the interface and commerce works, but it's it's um, it's not totally there yet. So it's 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 an interesting thing. I think the smart speaker still has a long way to go as far as how it's used and how 
how people leverage it, but it's sort of a chicken egg thing. I think as brands get better at having voice experiences, the smart speaker, with, with every application, the smart speaker becomes more useful, right? And in the same way that the internet existed, but when websites were crap, you know, it wasn't useful. When you couldn't get a mortgage or buy a car or do all, you can do just about anything online now. When you couldn't, you know, you would have said the same thing about the internet. And so like these things just take time. Um, and, and one thing I just wanted to, I think it was important that Matt touched on um, that's worth noting is, uh, he's kind of touched on this a little bit, is an audio logo is, is just one piece of the puzzle, right? You, you, you need to have an audio identity, you need to have a sonic branding strategy, right? An audio logo on an island does not really get you there. It's got to be foundational in what your brand sounds like. And, and, and there needs to be other aspects across your brand that reinforce that audio logo. You know, Matt's making the point about repetition and being in the zeitgeist and being out there. You, you know, if you're, if you have a certain sound to your brand that will reinforce that audio logo and vice versa. Like, you know, if you just, you can't just have a great audio logo, you know, it's rare. Like, and that's why sometimes these things like Intel can be misleading. Um, you know, cause it's just like, it's one of those things that everyone likes to talk about, like the you know, the million dollar success story that came out of nowhere. And that's, that's kind of what Intel can look like. Um, while granted, it's a really well-crafted audio logo, so it's not a total, you know, moonshot. But I think, you know, the great brands use that audio logo over and over again. Like you talk about people covering it, um, people, you know, enjoying it, people doing spinoffs on it, doing different things. And then if your brand has certain sounds and in those ads, you're using the audio logo, um, appropriately, like State Farm Insurance in the U.S. has been very good about using their audio logo at the beginning of their ad and at the end. And, you know, in the TV world, very, very often people aren't looking at the screen now. So like they're looking at their phone or whatever if they are watching an ad. So having that in the beginning and end of every ad and then using it, and it's actually a variation on their on their logo. You know, you could have a a sung version of Like a Good Neighbor, State Farm is there, but they just do an instrumental version of it. So now they're doing variations on their own thing and that's where this stuff really starts to to get legs and 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 penetrate uh, you know the population in a really strong way. So and that's the sonic strategy you talk about, Scott. It goes beyond the audio channel to all touch points, and there's some consistency there across all channels. Yeah, and I think and Matt, you know, and, and the, the team at SCA, they're you know, they're they're experts in this, right? They're helping you have a, a successful campaign. Um, and a successful campaign, you have to have great audio logo. You have to have great ads. Uh, you have to have you know you have to reinforce one with the other, and you have to be able to measure that and say, well, this worked and this didn't. Let's change this and that. Um, and that and that's that's what this all kind of comes around as. And if you do that for a period of time, and, and I think you're right, man. I think two years ago you're still early. Um, you know, people are going to start to get better at this. They're going to have to. Um, just like I hate to use this analog again, but just like people had to get a lot better at at, at online marketing than than the initial websites that were out there when people first started buying things online. The audio's got a long way to go, and the digital audio world is going to help people be more accountable, be more accurate, be able to measure better as to you know how people are responding to those ads and their audio logo. And that's that's only going to create better audio content as as there becomes to, like this this audio logo index that we're doing here is the first time. <laughs> so people are going to look at this and, and say, yeah. All right, there's there's some good points there. Let's get quickly to the platform itself without getting too deep into the underbelly of the tech machine, but what is driving the Veritonic platform? Is it more AI being used to create this index? Why should we trust the machines, Scott? Never trust the machines completely. <laughs> um, who knows what could happen? But I think what we've tried to do is is ground 
what our technology is able to do, ground what our, what our platform is able to do in human responses. Um, you know, it's very difficult to, you know, understand at scale how people are going to feel when they hear something. You can kind of do that and try to get into one person and and try to use neuro and neuro and, and other things to try to say like, you know, here's here's how people's brainwaves are responding, but that doesn't help you across a large population. And so what we do is, is we take uh, historical data and existing data on actual human responses and, and fuse that with machine learning and, and AI to, to predict how somebody's going to feel when they hear something and then validate that information where necessary. And so that's why we partner with companies like SCA. SCA has an audience. SCA is really good at measuring. SCA has panelists that they have access to. So over the la- this index is is something that is here now and it's new. We've been working with SCA for almost two years to to build that data set, right? And to teach our system how people are responding to something. And now you're starting to see the fruits of that where what machine learning does is it just gives you the answer faster. And it gets you that answer with less people. And it gets you that answer, um, you know, really with no people, but if you want to validate it, those people are plugged into the system. So it's it's a way to ground it in reality, but it's also a way to get those answers faster and at scale. And that's that's the exciting thing about um, machine learning and AI and these sort of things that are that are coming in the future, um, because you can you can augment the data we have today. You can augment the 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 human interactions we have today and start to predict how something's going to happen and say, well, if something sounds like this, people are likely to feel this way. And then as you start to build benchmarks and norms and a framework around that, then you can start to have a score, right? Because we know what was good and what was not good and what was in between historically and yesterday and two years ago and what have you, and for males and females in Australia versus the UK or the US. And then you can start to put those things in categories, and that helps us just understand better. The score helps you kind of just give you, you know, just some context. And, and that's, you know, people love winners and losers and that sort of stuff, but the score just gives you a framework by which everything can be measured by. And, and up until we started Veritonic, that didn't exist. There was no framework to say, this is a good or a bad audio logo. And so once that framework's in place, then everything can be relative within it. So it's an exciting time for us, and it's exciting to have audio platforms and partners who have all that infrastructure in place for us to leverage. Without SCA, you know, there's just no reality for us to ground the machine learning in, and those two have to go hand in hand. Otherwise, you are, you are in the world where the machines are running amok. <laughs> Matt, how does the index work here in Australia? Scott talked about some big audience panels that you have here. How does it work? Yeah, look, good question. It's our own audience panel. So SCA is kind of unique in Australia as a broadcaster in that we we own and run the largest and most engaged audience research panel in Asia Pacific. We won two awards for it last year. We won um, largest audience panel and most engaged, nearly 400,000 people. And so what that means is we're able to fill Veritonic in Australia with uh, Australian data. And that means that we can then compare US to Australia and UK, etc. But it's it's a local um, panel that we own, and it's local data. So it would be interesting to play Australian audio logos to American audiences and see what they thought. But um, yeah, this was done with our own uh, audience panel, and I guess we have a really symbiotic relationship with Veritonic, where um, we use their their data and their platform. Um, but we, we do it with our research panel. We're just about out of time and I want to get to what both of you think the next 12 months look like for audio brands in the next 12 months. Sure. So the first part of that is it is this is a 
great time. I'm really excited for to see what the next 12 months brings uh, as these things like the Australian Audio Logo Index come out, right? Because uh, you know, up until now, there hasn't been a public facing, you know, conversation like where where the where 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 brands and advertisers and marketers and and everyone kind of who's going coming to the audio advertising uh, conversation can look at this and say, here's what's working and here's what's not out there, and let's let's debate that. Let's let's talk about that and I'm really curious to see what the response is in the market because ultimately you know the vision here is is brands advertise <laughs> uh, across you know everything that SCA does and they have success and and how can we measure that what can be the objective third party that does that and hopefully more brands will come in and say well we can do that too we want to do that too how do we get involved there and, and hopefully that's what I we expect to see as it relates to covid um, you know, I think the the thing that we've seen across the board in the U.S. and around the world, in, in our platform and with our clients uh, and partners, is an emphasis on messaging. I, I, I've never seen uh, our data of just usage and, and just me anecdotally more people who care about what their ads sound like right now. Uh, you know, people want to make sure that they're on point. They want to make sure that they're perceived as authentic. They want to make sure that they're not. Um, you know, being perceived as kind of off color in this in this you know kind of tense environment where people are trying to communicate, uh, and that messaging really matters. So it's interesting to see the pre market creative testing aspect of what we're doing um, has has really seen a lot of activity. So and I think that will continue as people try to figure out um, what's happening in the market. Whereas I think before. Um, some brands might be like, well, let's just throw that podcast ad out there. Let's just throw that ad out there and see how it does. Or let's, you know, do this. And now you're seeing people say, well, is this ad appropriate? Uh, does this ad work? <laughs> you know, let's make sure we test this creative before it goes out the door um, with everything going on. So that's that's sort of what we're seeing. Matt, for the Australian market, what do you expect this index to do? What happens the next year? What does it look like? I hope it's going to increase the level of conversation around audio logos and audio logo effectiveness. Looking at impacts of COVID, um, we've had a couple of projects that have been postponed because I think brands are just, you know, wondering what the world looks like on the other side of this. But by the same token, the brands that are messaging, that are, are communicating at the moment, it's interesting. A lot of brands are using music to to make to give their commercials emotional depth. And what they could do if they came to us and via Veritonic is test that music to make sure that it evokes the right emotions. Everyone's using the slow piano and that we're all in this together in the unprecedented times, but maybe it's a time for distinction. And the best way to do that would be to test, try something different, try a few different music beds, test them because we can, we know with Veritonic what their emotional impact is going to be. Uh, and maybe try something a bit different, try leading rather than uh, doing the same thing as everyone else. Because at the moment, I think a lot of brand communications all sound the same. It's funny, Matt, you're right about the music uh, and the messaging. Like people just like people are so afraid to try anything right now at the risk of, you know, sounding different or, or whatever. They're, and they're all just going there, kind of like lemmings. They're just like, oh, we're supposed to feel, everything's supposed to sound this way. Let's just do it. It's like total conform. No one wants to be the outlier. No one's going to take a chance right now. Right, they're 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 worried about their job. They're worried about the campaign. They probably have a budget cut. Like they're not they're not going to take a chance. And and I and I, I've always said this, and it's 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 like one of the things that you put this on my tombstone. But data le- data liberates creativity. When you have great data, you can try anything. Um, and, and I hope I hope that the that things like the audio logo index, like you bring up Mastercard or these things, I really hope that those things are are seen as opportunities for people to try things with audio, not reasons for people to say, well, I've got, like Toyota, I've got it, well, I don't need to touch it. Or MasterCard, well, they said my audio logo is bad, I'm out. 
like this data is, you know, total crap. So like, you know, hopefully these, these are things where it's like, you know, what works today might not work tomorrow. What, what works for one audience doesn't work for another. I mean, what works for one person might not for another. So there's so many opportunities here. That's the thing that I hope comes from this. But Matt, that conservatism that Scott talks about in the US, do you see signs of it here around creativity, that is? Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, I've been, I've been at home for 10 weeks and watching a bit of TV and, you know, it's almost like a checklist. Like every ad has to have the sad piano music, has to mention unprecedented times now more than ever. There's almost a checklist of things that brands need to do. However, um, one of the things we've been doing with Veritonic for two years is you can test an or any audio asset before a single spot has gone to air. So it, as Scott was saying, it removes the risk. You can say, well, what if we took this chance, but let's go and test it with an audience panel offline. And when we know it resonates, then we can move it above the line and actually pay for some advertising. So there is always that option uh, through SCA and, and using Veritonics platform, which I think is a great idea for brands. I think the brands right now that decide to do something a bit different will reap the benefits just purely from a distinction point of view. Um, but if they're cautious, maybe they want to test and the best way to test any audio asset is Veritonic. And uh, the way to do that in Australia is through SCA. Well, let's get some better ads going. So Matt, <laughs> get that index working for us in Australia. Gents, thanks for the conversation. Most intriguing. Stay safe and uh, we'll loop round, I suspect. Thanks, Thank Paul. You, Paul. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's moi in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.